This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. Hey y'all, this is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, editor of the Nevada Independent, John Ralston, and national correspondent for NPR, Layla Foddle. All right, let's start the show. Hey y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Here today with two great guests, Layla Fadel, national correspondent for NPR, based in Las Vegas, covering culture, diversity, and race, and John Ralston, editor of the Nevada Independent, covering all the ins and outs of this state's politics. I'm glad you both are here, and I'm glad to be taping this show for the first time ever in one of my favorite cities of all time, Las Vegas. You know what? I'm so happy to hear this song, Sam, because you, know, you know what? First of all, it reminds me of my youth, and secondly, it reminds me of Guardians of the Galaxy. How can you not hear this song? song now and think of that scene in Guardians of the Galaxy, right? You are reading my mind because I'm playing this song this week because I saw a really crazy story this week that said that cassette sales went up 23% last year in 2018. Cassettes. But like who has the equipment? (laughs) Guardians of the Galaxy fans. So if you recall, the movie Chris Pratt's character walks around the whole time playing old school jams like this on his cassette player. Uh, The marketing gurus behind this movie said, we should sell actual cassettes of this music. They did. It boosted actual cassette tape sales by thousands of units last year. Huh. I, I, don't, I don't understand that either. How can I mean, I can't even believe there's that many cassette recorders still around. Maybe oh, yeah. the, we need to check the sale of the cassette recorders going with the cassettes. Exactly. To figure out who's playing people, what. Actually, people yeah. with maybe really old cars still have the cassette deck in their So yeah, they go right? into their car to sit there <laughs> and listen to the Guardians soundtrack. So it's really, really crazy. And besides the Guardians soundtrack that we're playing now, this song, of course, you all know, is Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Swede. Uh, besides that, the other top-selling tapes of 2018, 21 Pilots, because why not? Uh, Britney Spears' first album, Baby One More Time, and the soundtrack to Netflix's Stranger Things. That is so random. Right? <laughs> the soundtrack to Stranger Things is a great soundtrack, though. That's another throwback It's very track. 80s. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, throwback. Yeah. I mean... But is, wasn't it CD time when Britney started? Right. I feel like it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the last cassette you guys can recall actually having? I don't... I feel like I was always on CDs. I'm not sure. Oh. I, 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 I'm old enough where I should have had cassettes, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I have you both here in this Nevada week, which I'm so excited about. But I want us to talk about not just Las Vegas, but the news of the entire week. I've asked both of you to describe your week of news in only three words. I know that you both are up to the challenge. I'm going to let you go first, John. My three words are Harry Reid unplugged, Sam. Yeah, he's been on a tear recently. You talked with him recently. The New York Times talked with him recently, and he's mm-hmm. letting it all hang out. This is the former Senate, what, majority or minority leader? Both. both. He, he had both positions. <laughs> <laughs> From Nevada. Right. Retired now, and he is battling cancer and in a moment where he's just telling people stuff. 
Yeah, you know, Harry Reid, as I've said many, many times in my career, and he's been one of the most fascinating guys to cover, uh, really doesn't have what, what most politicians have, which is a self-editing mechanism. Uh, <laughs> it's always either either been there or, or and been faulty or just not there yeah. a, at all. And, and, of course, you mentioned in the New York Times interview, he told Mark Leibovich that Donald Trump is amoral and that he's the worst president we've ever had. And one of the things I think is funny, and Harry Reid said a lot of things, he talked about essentially what a lot of people would consider an abuse of power, calling bankers to threaten them, calling hedge funds to, wow. threaten, to threaten them because they were going to build coal plants here. Line crossing that, that, that Harry Reid says is not line crossing because he was just doing his job for his constituents. But he said a lot of things in a very lengthy interview. I sat with him for about you uh, had an, two an parts hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, it was worth writing up two parts of it. And uh, he is some kind of character. Well, and this is the thing I kept thinking while reading your stories on him with these interviews, you know, Harry Reid was not afraid to make a deal that might make him look bad in the moment to get his long-term goal down the road. Mm -hmm. And this is for both of you. But like when I look at the shutdown right now mm -hmm. and Trump's mental calculus with it, he seems to be only concerned with the right now. Uh, he, he wants to be uh, seen in the most favorable light possible every second, which is kind of an exaggeration of the narcissism that every elected official oh, yeah. to some extent has, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but the point that you make is very insightful about Harry Reid is that he never minded making a deal that maybe the public or pundits would not think is great. He didn't care what people said about him. Despite what Donald Trump says about the news media, it's obvious he cares he very, very all. deeply about how he is written about and how he is talked about and how he is uh, perceived. Harry Reid never cared about that. And to some extent, you can say the same thing about Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and there are some specific things that Harry Reid has done that lead and have led to some of the things that liberals right now hate to see the GOP doing. We forget that Harry Reid was responsible for the so-called nuclear option, which made it uh, so that federal uh, nominees for judgeships and other appointments could advance in the Senate by some majority vote. Mm -hmm. and, and like, I don't know, should Democrats look at him a little more harshly in hindsight? I think some do. Okay. Uh, and I asked Harry Reid uh, about that in a series of questions when I talked. And he is, is not only having sec not having second thoughts, he's still very proud of what he did, saying I had to do that. They were holding up uh, uh, dozens upon dozens of Obama judicial appointments. I had to do something. I said, you know, didn't didn't you realize at some point this could boomerang? Eventually the Republicans were – he said, of course I, I, I knew that. But you have to take your shot uh, when you get it. And, and he's, he's very proud of what he did uh, by using the nuclear option to get those judges confirmed during the Obama era. Mm. Layla, do you have three words? I do. So I chose it's Groundhog Day. Ah, um, we're going to allow that contraction. And the reason I did that was uh, I am a national correspondent now, but mm -hmm. for the longest part of my career, I worked in the Middle East. How many years? Because before even NPR, you were there with yeah, the Washington Post, right? So about 11 years overall. Wow. So and, I lived, and wherever? I lived in Baghdad for about five years on and off and yeah. then I lived in Egypt for about five years so yeah. I moved there two weeks before the uprising in 2011 which great had, timing yeah um, and so I sort of was in that region during this whole quote-unquote global war on terror mm -hmm. um, and this week there's a lot of talk about shooting from the hip with the president his advisors resigning over his decision to suddenly pull out troops, then others pulling back on that promise. And of course, this um, terrible bombing that happened in which four 
Four Americans were killed, five civilians, Syria, uh, members yeah. of SDF in Syria. And what I was thinking, I was talking to a, a colleague of mine that's working mostly on Syria, and she talked about feeling like she's writing in circles. Uh. Writing in circles because we kind of tell with different details, of course, and different global powers. The United States always kind of in the center of that. Yeah. Um, tell the same story about extremism, defeating extremism, keeping people secure um, without ever actually addressing the underlying issues of what drives that discontent mm -hmm. that allows this to flourish. Yeah. And um, so often that is lack of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so often what I've seen is it really flourishes under extreme repression hmm. or security vacuums in which people are looking for somebody to say, I will keep you safe here. Mm -hmm. And that's what um, Al-Qaeda thrived on. That's what ISIS thrives on. That's what extremism we see all around the world really thrives on. Well, and then it's like, you know, when I think of this conversation going on right now, kind of speaking to the nuance and complexity of this region, yeah, that is usually overshadowed by the craven politics uh, of D.C. around this stuff. I'm thinking this week about the back and forth over whether or not Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi gets to go to the region because of the shutdown. Right. And, you know, we're having that conversation instead of getting to some of these much bigger things right. that you raise. Which I think that there's so much conversation that happens about what's happening in D.C. and a lot less about the impact of what D.C. is doing to the country mm. and to the world. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that I've been focusing on in the past couple of weeks is talking to the people across this country who are actually impacted by the shutdown yeah. and are not thinking about whether um, Nancy Pelosi is going to go to Afghanistan or if the State of the Union speech is going to happen. And they're just thinking about how do I feed my... Like I exactly. literally spoke to a federal cor correctional officer in uh -huh. the Federal Bureau of Prisons. She is skipping meals oh my goodness. in order to feed her kids. Ugh. And she doesn't care yeah. about any of that yeah. stuff. She's just like, where's my paycheck and why are you guys being selfish? Yeah. Y'all, I have three words. They are no way out. Mm. And I'm talking about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> I have been obsessed with this story for months now. Yeah. In part because it's such a big deal. It is the equivalent of like Texas or California seceding the union. <laughs> like it's right. big. Secondarily, I'm into this story because I love that the British Parliament yells. Oh my God. They're so entertaining. <laughs> They're so entertaining. And so this week, per most weeks, was a week full of Brexit drama. Uh, UK Prime Minister Theresa May took her plan to execute the Brexit to the Parliament. They voted it down. Then they had a no-confidence vote for her actual leadership, and she survived that. Right. So now she's in this weird position where no one likes her Brexit plan, but she's still there. And the thinking is whatever her plan B is, they're not going to like that either. Yeah, I was in – so I actually was in London to the in, for the run-up. So I wasn't there during Brexit, obviously, but I worked there for a few months in our bureau. Mm-hmm. In the year before, and people are worried about lack of opportunity, and so they didn't want all these people coming in from Eastern Europe mm -hmm. to take their jobs, and it became this Britain First campaign. Yeah, you know, similar to America, similar first. to America First. So yeah. it was this whole thing where it's like, you know, let's close our borders, let's close ranks. We need to keep the jobs here. We need to keep the opportunities here. We don't want to keep bailing out Greece and like dealing with the rest of Europe. Yeah, I do think it is really 
incredible for me to look at something like Brexit going on right now and our current politics and just to connect the dots and kind of understand more and more that all of this stuff right now, all of this stuff, it's about immigration. Yeah. It's about immigration. And mass migration. Yeah. That's happening as people search for safety and economic opportunity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I will say, you know, I take a craven solace in knowing that as crazy as our politics is right now with this whole shutdown situation, it's also crazy for our best friends, the UK. <laughs> like, <laughs> they are dealing with some gridlock, too. I thought it was really funny in that there was this brief period um, where so much surprising stuff was happening. So Brexit happened. And it was the first time um, in this sort of expatriate world where Americans and Brits were like in these different countries together, where, where British people felt less willing to make fun of the U.S. Mm -hmm. because of what had just happened in the yeah. U.K. And then um, the election happened here, and it was like, oh, everybody is having these crazy... Everybody you know, is. I yeah. guess the question now is like, is the U.S. government closer to ending the shutdown than the U.K. is to actually getting a getting Brexit a plan? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yeah. probably yes to that. Uh, I don't... Uh, yeah. But uh, I wouldn't bet a lot of money on it. Anywho... Um, <laughs> Before we go to a break, I have to issue a little correction right now uh, for an error that we made last week in the show. Uh, listeners, as you know and can recall, we played five different versions of the Baby Shark song in our show last week to celebrate that song, cracking the Billboard Top 40. We described one of those versions, this one that I'm going to play right now really quickly. Baby shark, baby shark, really, really fun one. Uh, we described this song as mariachi. We were wrong and we're sorry. This song is played by a Banda group and it is a cumbia version of Baby Shark. I regret that error from last week, but I'm so excited that this correction gives me another chance to play this song. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. In 1980, with a few thousand dollars and used dairy equipment, Ken Grossman founded Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Ken's award-winning ales propelled him from home brewer to craft brewer. Today, Ken and his family still own 100% of the company, one of the most successful independent craft breweries in America. More at SierraNevada.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Human behavior doesn't always make a ton of sense, at least on the surface. I said, would you mind if I give the dogs a little piece of cracker with some hot sauce on it and without and see what they choose? Hidden Brain, a spicy podcast about science, psychology, and why people do what they do. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was... I'm Sam Sanders here today with two guests, John Ralston, editor of the Nevada Independent, covering all the ins and outs of this state's politics. I've been trying so hard all week to not say Nevada. 
You've done a beautiful job, and so I didn't I have to correct you on air. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Not yet. <laughs> also here with Layla Fadel, national correspondent for NPR, based in Las Vegas, covering culture, diversity, and race. Thank you both for being here for my Vegas week. This is so fun. It's thank a pleasure. You. I love being here. I love being here. Uh, Layla, John, I want to take some time to talk about a story that has left the headlines in the last few weeks, but is still affecting thousands of people on this side of the country. Um, all those wildfires that California and the West experienced for, gosh, it felt like it dragged on for months. Yeah. So much damage, record-breaking fires. Um, I know you all have been following that. Layla, you covered some of that. I did, You were yeah. out there. Where were you? Uh, well, in Paradise. We, so I went out to Chico, which is the neighboring town, which mm-hmm. is overwhelmed still by yeah. people who are, because there's no houses really left yeah. in Paradise. Are there a few and outside of war I had never seen destruction like that I mean uh, it was just a, a city that was gone yeah yeah for all intents for yeah. like a few places yeah. survived so we're actually going to use our long distance segment today to talk to a listener who lived in paradise yes hi Sam how are you I'm fine thank you how are you doing I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I am. Leah Rayleigh and her husband, they barely survived the deadly campfire that wiped out their town of Paradise, California, November 8th last year. I called up Leah to talk about what they're dealing with now. But first, I wanted her to walk me through that day. Well, November the 8th happened to be my wedding anniversary, my 10th anniversary. So when I got up in the morning, um, you know, I had a text message from my husband that he had sent after midnight and, you know, just happy anniversary kind of thing. And he was still um, asleep as I got ready for work. So went about my usual routine and and left for work. And as Mm. I left, I thought, the sky looks weird. It was a yellowy-orange color, but Leah and her husband, they hadn't heard about any fire. She thought it was far away. So she went to work in Chico, which is about 20 minutes down the mountain from Paradise. And once Leah got to Chico, she heard from colleagues about a fire back up the mountain, where her husband was still sleeping with no vehicle and four dogs. Four dogs, three boxers, and um, a lab pit bull mix. Oh, what are their names? They're Rascal, Chopper, Daisy, and Buddy. Oh. Yeah, they were super important to us. So I tried to head back up there. There are really three main ways to get up to Paradise, Mm -hmm. and every one of them were blocked off. And people were on the side of the road making calls and... I couldn't get a hold of my husband for about 45 minutes. It was going straight to voicemail, and I was freaking out. Yeah. Finally, just after 1 o'clock, he called, and he said, I'm out. And he started crying, and he said, I, I couldn't get the dogs. Oh and God. I said, well, maybe they'll be okay. Maybe the fire's not on our street. And he said, Leah, our street was already on fire. And he had um, grabbed the flashlight and um, went running up the street with the flashlight and found one guy on the street who was getting out at the last minute with a car full of stuff. And my husband said, can you help me get my dogs? And he said, there's no room in my car and we got to get out of here because this place is on fire, you know. So he had to make the choice to leave. It was it was fight or flight, and he finally realized he had to flee. Leah's house was completely destroyed. That was three months ago. Since then, she and her husband have been living with Leah's mother. It's an hour-and-a-half commute 
each way for Leah to get to work. Also, they're still dealing with their insurance company. They're having to look for a new house, but they're not looking in paradise. In fact, Leah and her husband, they actually haven't been back to paradise at all, not even once since the fire. They don't want to go back. We both just feel like our mental health is is pretty fragile right now. And um, I just don't think that I can handle some of those images. Um, Even when I see stuff on Facebook, which I've been trying to stay off of, it really just, you know, my heart rate will go up and I just feel the anxiety and just overwhelming sadness, um, not just for what we've lost, but everybody. So um, we're not rebuilding up there and housing is really hard to find in the area, very expensive. There are bidding wars. This is because people that were displaced are now just living in the surrounding area. Right. How much have prices gone up? Well, as an example, just this morning talking to my real estate agent, she said that expect to spend twenty to seventy five thousand dollars over asking price. And asking prices are are significantly higher than they were, you know, say three to six months ago. Yeah. So um, it's just salt in the wound. It really is. It it really is. It's it, it's yeah. kind of heartbreaking. And yeah. I love my job. I would love to stay there, but some days I think I want to run away. But I don't know where to. Mm. But I'll tell you, as we're looking at houses and thinking about where to live, I'm thinking of things that I didn't think of before. Well, is this? a flood area? Is it a fire area? Is this, Mm. could my home be destroyed in a blink Mm. of an eye again? Mm. Um, And I can't, I'm not saying that I never thought of that before, but it's uh, at a different level now. Yeah. Well, and what I found so interesting about what you told us before this chat is that even if you found some way to get back to paradise, a lot of the things that you need for the life you had wouldn't be there. You were telling us that your doctor is gone and he's not coming back. Your husband's doctor is gone. He's not coming back. If you went back, the town might not be there. Right. You know, there are still things things standing. Um, my, my coworker whose home remains standing um, is is going to go back. And she said she's told me some of the businesses that are still there but most of them are gone. You know, the mm. Safeway is gone. And, mm. yeah, all of the things that we need day to day, our doctors and our, my eye doctor and my husband's dentist and all of those things that you need to do don't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, talking with you now, you sound so strong and so poised. I'm guessing it's not really like that on the inside. To the best you can explain to me and to our listeners who are not going through what you're going through, what is the trauma just like for you on a daily basis? You know, um, this morning even, I really started to kind of lose it a little bit, and I was crying. I called one of my, my friends from work and cried, and I said, you know, I just, I don't know what I'm doing, and and. There are days like that that I just I, I just need to cry, 
Um, yeah. But I, I'm also a person who doesn't let myself lose it. You know, and a week ago I yeah. said to my boss, I'm not allowed to lose it. And he said, well, who said that? And I said, well, I did. Those are my rules. <laughs> I need to keep it together. I've got a job. I have things to do. I have to try to get yeah. a life back. Um, Is that a good rule? I feel, I, probably not. <laughs> it's probably not good for my mental health. But I don't know. I don't know what else to do. I need to try to keep moving ahead and try to put some kind of life back together. Yeah. What are you doing now to unwind? When you have time to. Yeah, <laughs> not not a lot. You know, when you're commuting three hours a day and then you're yeah. working, you know, plus eight plus hours a day, that's a really long day. And I get home and sometimes I just pass out on on the couch i don't even make it to the bedroom uh Mm. you know to get in bed but um you know we do have uh, a new granddaughter that was born just on tuesday so congratulations yeah thank you what's her name we're gonna go see her her name is camila oh and they're in the bay area so we're gonna go and um just love on the baby and um and rejoice in in new life in all of this. Well, I hope that is so enjoyable. And I just thank you for sharing your story with me and our listeners. And thank you for your perseverance in the midst of what I'm sure has been a most trying time. You will be in my prayers and I'm sure a lot of folks out there. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Bye, Sam. Bye-bye. It's it's crazy to think that there are thousands of stories like that. I mean that that conversation with her real estate agent. I mean yeah. that was just It's oh my goodness. I can't. And so like to to have that laundry list of like woes on top of that the government shutdown is affecting recovery there and mm-hmm. affecting survivors there. Some federal disaster grants have been delayed because of the shutdown and actual wildfire prep work to help mitigate the next fire season. That's kind of on hold because mm-hmm. of the shutdown. Yeah. You know what struck me in listening uh, mm-hmm. to that, Sam, and I think it struck you too, is is that this – kind of optimism shining through despite all of this has happened, as difficult as it's been. Yeah. Um, Well, Leah, thank you again for sharing your story with us. Uh, Mm. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, we'll lighten the mood with my favorite game, Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. It's called protein degradation, and if you're a bad protein in a cancer cell, you'd better get your affairs in order. Because now, thanks to Dana-Farber's foundational work, protein degradation can target cancer-causing proteins and destroy them right inside the cell. 
This approach is making a difference in multiple myeloma and other blood cancers and is how Dana-Farber is working to treat previously untreatable cancers. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. We take most things for granted, like our morning coffee. But there are a lot of people behind that cup of coffee. And A.G. Jacobs set out to thank all of them. It doesn't just take a village to make a cup of coffee. It takes the world. Ideas around appreciation on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here today with two guests, Layla Fadel, national correspondent for NPR, based in Las Vegas, covering culture, diversity, and race. Also here with John Ralston, editor of the Nevada Independent. Tell folks whose politics is crazier, Chicago or Nevada? Well, uh, you know, I, I have this argument with people all the time. I, I still think having done, having followed politics here for three and a half decades, I think we have the best stories, the craziest stories. But folks in Chicago and even more so people in Florida, say, well, they say they have the craziest politics of all want to argue with me. I love it. I love it. All right. It's time for my favorite game. Who said that? Ooh, Nervous. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. This game is so simple. Uh, I share a quote from the week. You all have to guess who said that or get the story that I'm talking about or get a keyword. But as you both know at this point, the winner gets absolutely nothing. What? I'm not yes. playing. <laughs> I'm used to that running a nonprofit. So that's good. <laughs> all right. This, uh, this week we have some good ones. Ready for the first quote? Yeah. Here it is. Quote, I don't get this 10-year challenge. Time is not something I acknowledge. Mariah. Mariah Carey. I also have stopped acknowledging time. (laughs) So I'm sure you both have been following this whole 10-year challenge on Facebook and Twitter and all the spaces, right? Yeah. People have been, for whatever reason, sharing photos of themselves now compared to photos of themselves from 10 years ago. Mariah Carey in her splendid glory said, I'm not doing that. (laughs) She posted a tweet with just two of the same picture of her right next to each other. Uh, And she basically said, I'm not doing this 10-year challenge. I don't believe in time. I look pretty. Look at me. Yeah. Listen, I I actually do okay if I did pictures of myself ten years ago and now. I think I'm I'm doing better now than I was ten years ago. But this is yeah. this is the kind of stuff I just miss that I need yeah, to get well, more. I'm living in my silo of, of of politics and the Nevada Independent and nothing. Uh, but this can is penetrate fun. That. This is fun. This is like you know. This is where you go when you're like, oh, today was tough, and then you say, oh, Mariah Carey doesn't acknowledge time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. You know what? What you know what I do for fun after yeah. after I go to sleep. Oh. <laughs> but now since this ten year challenge blew up, there are some people saying, wait, what if this is a secret, sinister plot for Facebook and all these other companies to get your facial ID data? Uh, to I which I say they already it. have it. Yeah. 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 Have you any- been on Facebook 10 years? <laughs> They've got it. Why would got anyone it. be suspicious of Facebook? At <laughs> all? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Layla, you're up one zip. Oh, nice. She's going to win this game easily. I'm, hey. I'm already conceding defeat in advance. <laughs> oh, well, if, there mo- if there's more like that, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, next quote. Here it is. So it's not so much what I personally think about books. The question you should be asking is, what do you think about books? Is it that tidying lady? Yes, it is. Yes. Marie Kondo. I didn't watch. I just saw all the memes. Yeah. So the backstory is really interesting. But per usual, with all things Internet, it ends up in a fight. Um 
Marie Kondo is uh, an author who rose to fame with her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. I'm sure you guys have heard of it by now. Basically, her whole thing is like, you should declutter your house. And to do so, you should touch everything in your house and say to yourself, does this bring me joy? And if it doesn't, you should get rid of it. So she had the book. It was a hit. Now she has a Netflix show based on the book. And one of the things that people have been talking about in the rise of her show is that her theory about books is that maybe not all the books you have bring you joy. And she says that she herself only keeps about 30 books in her house. Mm -hmm. After this came out, a lot of folks are saying, is Marie Kondo telling me to get rid of all of my books? There was a fight all week about whether or not you can have books in your house, to which I say, I don't care. It's your house, right? Well, I I hadn't. I've been meaning to click on it, (laughs) but I I I just assumed she said throw away all your books because the fight was so it was so intense, right? It was so intense. John, did you see it? I did not. Again, I'm totally (laughs) clueless here and happily admitting it. But uh, I I can relate to the whole decluttering thing, having just moved, and Uh, and and, uh, there is so much clutter in my house. But I can't imagine anybody throwing out books. Did you keep all your books Uh, in your move? uh, I I there's still at, 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 at my son's place now. And I, Hopefully and I, your son is not watching the decluttering it's, episode yeah. you know, where it's he It's very possible. In fact, I better get over to that house right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say my thing now is like if I find a book that I love and I read it as soon as I'm done with it, I want to give it away. So someone else can experience it. Like that's the day that nice. I finish that's reading a nice it, thought, it actually. Yeah, very yeah, much. Yeah, that's a nice um, Layla, you're up two zip. There's only three questions in the game. I'm not going to oh. say you won already. We're going to make the last one worth three points. Okay. So, John, you could come back. I, and I have this no whole chance thing. in this, and I admitted it up front. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you might know this one. You, you think? Might, yeah. yeah. Look, he's looking at me with, with pity in his eyes. <laughs> For those of you again, not having the pleasure of seeing his look now. <laughs> Here we go. Last quote. Due to a large order placed yesterday, we're all out of hamburgers, spelled H-A-M-B-E-R-D-E-R-S, just serving hamburgers so this today. Is a, yeah, okay. So this is the pivot off of Trump's uh, uh, Twitter miscue. So yeah. uh, uh, this, this is like Burger King or McDonald's. Yes, sir, it is. It's Burger King. What do you know? It was Burger King. It was Burger King. Burger King. Oh, wait. Did you just win, John? You both of you won. Well, only, uh, yeah. Excuse me. No, I lost. This is won. rigged. <laughs> the Electoral College says. <laughs> <Yes>. no, <laughs> Layla, you did win, uh, but you both are winners in my heart. Um, I feel it. I <laughs> that's feel right. it. That's right. So this quote came from the Burger King Twitter account, and it was a reference to the president misspelling the word hamburgers in a tweet that he sent about serving a college football team hamburgers at the White House this week. As we have all seen the images by this point, we yeah. know that Donald Trump uh, welcomed the winners of this year's college football playoff national championship, the Clemson Tigers, to the White House as is customary for a celebratory dinner. He got them Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King, and Domino's Pizza. But in a tweet about that, he spelled hamburgers, hamburgers, H-A-M-B-E-R-D-E-R-S. Burger King made fun of that. <laughs> he makes a lot of spelling errors. This is one of his more egregious ones, but even more amazing th- than that. Uh, and I'm sure you guys saw this was the picture that they put out. It was epic. Of, uh, of Trump looking over this with the candelabras lit up. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite image, not favorite, I guess the saddest image was like this little box of Domino's pizza that probably cost 10 bucks a box <sighs> with these elaborate, elegant silver tongs. <laughs> right. Oh, right. I miss right. that, yeah. Like White House silver expensive tongs. Yeah. The tongs probably cost more than the pizza. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, Layla, you did win. 
I was just joking. You are the champion. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I feel so happy. I don't win anything. <laughs> Is there a trophy presentation of any kind? Uh, well, we're on a budget. Okay. We're <laughs> public radio. Speaking of nonprofit. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, that concludes Who Said That? Congratulations, Layla. Thank uh, you. Listeners, before we close this segment, I do want to ask for your help for a new segment I want to try on the show very soon. We're going to call this segment, I Have So Many Questions. And listeners, I want to hear from you with questions you have about the culture. Uh, I want to let you chime in with whatever is making you ask questions, things you can't wrap your head around, things that make no sense. You know what I'm talking about, things like the rise of clunky, ugly tennis shoes, uh, the rapper Post Malone, the social media site TikTok, the show Riverdale, things that make you feeling weird or confused or scratch your head or make you feel old. Let us know. Send me those questions. Send me an email or even a voice memo of you actually asking me these questions. Send that to samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right, now it's time to end the show as we do every week. We ask our listeners to share with us the best things that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Brent, hit the tape. Hey, Sam. It's Tanya. And Ryan. From Henderson, Nevada. And the best part of our week was taking second place at the NPR Trivia Night hosted by you. Go Go Team Drunk Drunk Parents. Parents! Hey, Sam. This is Vienna. I got engaged this past weekend. Uh, with my boyfriend of five years. Super excited to share this with you. Hi, Sam. This is Kelly from Portland, Oregon. I just went snowshoeing in the Mount Hood National Forest with my golden retriever, Elway, and my husband, Jamie, who, after 16 years of marriage, is still willing to give up a day of NFL playoffs to go on an adventure with me. Hey, Sam. This is Katie from San Diego. I just got off the plane from Shanghai, China, and I am currently in Seoul, South Korea. I am half Chinese and half Korean, but I've never seen either of these countries before. Hey Sam, this is Kevin from Vegas. The best thing to happen to me this week is i seen my daughter. I'm in Vegas. These hotels are expensive, but uh, I got a place for us because I don't, I don't have an apartment yet. So I was there with her for like maybe one and a half, two days, and then the rest of the time she's been at my ex-wife's new apartment. And today I, I got to see her and touch her and hold her. So the best thing that happened to me is I got to see my daughter. Hi, Sam. So the best part of my week kind of spans two weeks. Last week I spent a couple days in the hospital, which was clearly not good. But the good part is I was able to get a diagnosis fairly quickly and figure out, hey, why I've felt so terrible over the past year. Um, I've got a treatment plan going. I've got a really good doctor. It's been really wonderful to know that all my family is just at my back when I need it. And I really needed that. Okay, thanks. Bye. I love it. Thanks to all the voices you heard there, Tanya and Ryan, Vienna, Kelly, Katie, Kevin, and Sarah. Um, as one of those listeners mentioned, I was here this week to host um, Nevada Public Radio's first ever trivia night. It was so much fun. It looked fun. It was really, really Based fun. on my performance against Layla here, I'm glad I didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I had a great, great time. Thanks uh, for all of those listeners and everyone else who sent in their best things all week. We listen to all of them that come in. Keep them coming. Also, send dog photos. Uh, you can Aww. reach us anytime on the show at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right. We're going to go out on a little song called Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Swede. It is a track 
on the best-selling cassette of 2018, the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. Yes, as we said earlier in the show, people still buy cassettes. <laughs> uh, I want both of my guests to leave this taping and go out and buy their own cassette players. Uh, Layla Fottle, national correspondent for NPR. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. This is uh, fun. Yeah, it's really fun. John Ralston, editor of the Nevada Independent. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Sam. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry, and help from Alex McCall. Special engineering help this week from Casey Morell. Right now of Nevada Public Radio, but soon to be heading to D.C. to work for NPR. Excited to have you out there, Casey, and thanks for all your help this week. And a special thanks to Nevada Public Radio for hosting me and the show all week. Really appreciate it. Steve Nelson is our director of programming. Our editor is Jordana Hochman. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Um, listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning for my chat with the director and one of the stars of Rent Live. Yes, Rent is coming to your TV screens later on this month. We'll talk about what it takes to bring such an iconic stage show to the screen and why it seems TV musicals used to always get a bad rap, but that might be changing. Check for Tuesday. All right, till next time, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. All the good luck when we're all alone. Keep it up, girl. Yeah, you turn me on. songs is the Uga Chaka in? Because I feel like it's in a bunch of songs. It is? I don't know. It's in a Billy Joel song of some sort, right? I'm not I don't know. got me on that one. Okay. I, I should know Billy Joel, too, and I don't uh, know that. Is this part of the quiz? No. <laughs> <laughs> quiz is over. You won. Yeah. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news. Some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning wherever you get your podcasts.